This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on managing your money. As Sally Krawcheck has told us over and over again, money is power, particularly for women. It protects us in a crisis, and it gives us choices at critical junctions in our lives. Yet, many of us make poor decisions about our finances, or even worse, cede control of our financial lives to other people. In a world where women still only make 80 cents for every dollar a man earns, we need to make every bit count. So today, we're going to talk about taking care of our financial lives and why it's so important for all of us, whether you're in a relationship, going through a divorce, or happily single. My guest today has made this her mission, and we'll talk with her about the upside of tax season, what we need to know about the tax bill, and choices we can make every day to move towards greater personal financial security. Joining me by phone is going to be Don Dobler, Senior Wealth Advisor for the Colony Group and co-founder of Her Wealth, an initiative that works to educate and empower women with the confidence to take control of their finances. Our phones are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you'd like to call with questions about your own finances, we have an expert with us today, and she'll give you really good advice. Once again, that's 1-844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866. So now let me tell you a little about Dawn before we begin. She has provided wealth management, financial planning, and corporate finance solutions for clients for over 25 years. She's an MBA, CPA, certified financial planner, and a certified divorced financial, a certified divorce financial analyst who understands the challenges and financial needs of clients from executives to entrepreneurs, women in transition, as well as single breadwinning parents. She's worked at Ford, Nissan, Southern California Edison, and is a weekly contributor to WTOP Radio, where she shares her financial advice with listeners in the Washington, D.C. region. So, Don, welcome to Women at Work. Thank you, Laura. So, Don, in your work with women, what do you see as the most common mistake that we make? Well, you know, the main reason that we started the whole Her Wealth initiative is that we were seeing a common pattern, and that is that many women just aren't engaged in their finances. And really at the outset, when we launched the initiative, I said we, we need to identify why is it that women are not engaged. We can't just make that statement without really understanding why. And we think there really are a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of the reasons is that many women in their 40s and 50s right now were raised um, being taught that it's really someone else's job to secure their financial future, and yet they're living lives now where they're um, many times solely responsible for their finances. And we also wrote an article about the barriers that women face. These are other things that we see that are common. Um, A lot of traditional advisors are male. So not all women are comfortable going in and speaking with a male about their finances, particularly if they're in transition or maybe if they've made some um, not best choices along the way. So they want to have a female oftentimes to have that conversation. Um, And many women and really all people lack basic education about finances unless you really go to school for finances. You really don't get any education in high school or even in college about the real basics of how to manage your money and how to plan for the future. Don, you pointed out something interesting, that when women need help, there's a certain shame about needing the help and um, a discomfort in um, sharing that with an advisor, particularly if they're male. What, how do we get over this shame? How do you deal with it with your clients? Well, I think the most important thing is to make the conversation comfortable. Um, Another one of the barriers to people really engaging in their finances is that money talk is kind of taboo in our culture. And I actually have a theory that men are more comfortable and often talk about money amongst themselves Mm -hmm. more than women do. So really just making the core conversation more approachable and more comfortable for women. I think the good news is that women of today have access to so many resources online. 
So if you don't want to necessarily have an initial conversation face-to-face, there's a lot that you can do online to at least get started in educating yourself. Many websites, many great books out there. Um, the one caution I would have is, you know, understanding kind of the nature of the advice that you're receiving and additionally, how do you apply it to your specific situation? Because the other observation I would make about the challenge of some women getting advice and really kind of doing it themselves is a lot of the advice that's being given out there is still assuming very traditional gender roles. And so, for example, a lot of the advice is based on, you know, a a male and a female being married and the male being the primary breadwinner. Um, So if you're looking at advice like Social Security claiming strategies, if that's the assumption, but you're living a very non-traditional life, so to speak, um, the advice may not be appropriate. So I think it's a combination of educating yourself about the basics Um, regarding financial management and how to be responsible with your money and then figuring out how those basics apply to you and your specific situation, which could be very different from, um, let's say, the average American. As you were alluding to, you know, there are a lot of resources out there. The good news is that there's a lot of resources out there. The bad news Mm -hmm. is that they're not all strong and you have to kind of make your way through them to figure out how to get good advice. And then we know that there are people like yourselves, really competent, experienced financial advisors. Um, When women are ready to take that step and they want to come talk with an advisor, um, what kind of headset should they be in, particularly for the ones who are nervous? This is the first time they're doing it. They may have made some bad decisions in the past. How should they kind of like orient their thinking and what tools should they bring in with them? Well, I think there are really kind of two pieces to this. The first thing is to think about how do you approach actually choosing an advisor? And there are really just a handful of basic things to understand when you are determining what your choices are for an advisor. The first one is how are they compensated? So really understanding how are you going to pay for the services that you want and that you need. And there's a a variety of out out there. Um, We could get into the details, but essentially we have brokers who charge commissions. We have flat fee advisors, or you can pay someone advice, for example, just financial planning only advice. You also want to look at what's their investment philosophy and does it align with your beliefs about how you want your money invested. And there are certainly many, many ways and and growing every day how you can invest your money and it can be complicated. Um, Certainly you mentioned it, but what's the education of the person that you're talking to? And then lastly, and I think most importantly, is are you comfortable talking with the person? You want to think and project forward that you're going to be with this person hopefully for many years throughout life, life's ups and life's downs. And are you going to be comfortable coming in and talking to them about some of the more difficult situations that you may face during your lifetime? And that's where I think a lot of women maybe are not realizing how important that connection is, having someone that you can trust, that you can really talk to. Yeah, we've... then. We've talked with women before who have noted that um, being mansplained to, being talked down to, feeling intimidated, not feeling respected had made them kind of withdraw from the dynamic of that relationship. And it really should be a partnership. And like you said, a long-term one. So there has to be a great deal of mutual trust and respect. Right. And I think one of the core ways to determine that is to ask some basic questions. And go into to this meeting with whoever you're talking to with the expectation that you'll receive answers to your questions and that if you don't understand the way that they're answering you, that you're going to feel comfortable continuing to ask further. Because that really is, I think, one of the most important things is to feel comfortable asking questions and making sure that you fully understand. And we talk a lot about making sure that you understand what are your own numbers. That's kind of the other piece of and what you were asking about being prepared for meeting with advisors is really kind of gathering everything that you know about your financial life and beginning to understand it yourself and be able to share that with another advisor. 
Um, you know, everyone's life is getting more and more complicated. It's very common for people to have accounts at multiple advisors, and they have old jobs, and they have, you know, IRAs and rollovers, and they kind of have assets in multiple places. And sometimes one of the most important things to do is to just get everything together in one place so that you can look at everything in one complete picture. And, of course, that's even more challenging when you have a couple and so you have really two people who may have multiple sources of what, assets and income and things going on. What are the core tools that you should look at? Um, should you pile together um, shoeboxes full of receipts? Is it your pay stub? Is it your tax return? What are the key um, tools that women should look for and bring with them when they're trying to get um, the stuff under control? Well, the most important thing is to create a personal balance sheet. So um, if you don't have that, then it is going to be a combination of all of the statements. A lot of times, um, kind of the first quarter of the year is a good time to put your balance sheet together because you probably received year-end 2017 statements for everything. So you can gather all of those and begin to create that statement. And then, Laura, you mentioned it, the tax return. Um, I wrote an article that uh, every woman should read and understand her tax return. And, you know, that might seem a bit extreme, but that tax return really has the most important information about your finances. And if you're not clear on where you are, what your sources of income are, what accounts you have, that's a great place to begin to understand really the pieces of your financial life. And I wrote the article. It was inspired actually by a woman who was headed into divorce who had no idea how much her husband made, whether he was contributing to a 401K, where the accounts were. So it was a great resource for us to begin to understand the reality of her financial life and then to kind of pull that apart and start thinking about what the divorce might look like. Absolutely. This is Women at Work, by the way, on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Dawn Dobler, Senior Wealth Advisor at the Colony Group and co-founder of Her Wealth, an initiative that educates and empowers women in their finances. If you have a question for Dawn, you need somebody to answer your questions about money. As some of our Business Radio listeners would say, it's Kent and Address. Um, give us a ring. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So give us a call. We'd really love to hear from you. So, Don, the, the tax return, I want to talk about two different types of tax returns and how we can make sense out of them. So let's say that we're talking about people who have not been involved in the preparation of their own taxes before. There's um, the tax return they prepare themselves and a tax return prepared by an accountant that was hired. Um, any guidelines about how to dissect these without the help of an advisor or an accountant to explain it to you? Well, I think there's really a, a couple of basic top-line pieces of information that you get from your return. If you just look at the first two pages of the 1040, which is the basic tax return, what is your top-line income, and do you understand what the sources of that are? So W-2 income, what's your earned income if you're working, mm -hmm. and what's the earned income of your spouse? Um, and surprisingly, a lot of people don't actually know how much their spouse makes. They might have a general idea, but they really don't know, and they don't know the components. For example, some people have a very large bonus component. Um, another thing to be looking at is whether there's a Schedule C or partnership income. So if someone owns a business in the relationship, what's the bottom line contribution of that business to your income? Because Certainly, um, you know, businesses have a vast number of expenses and sometimes cash flow doesn't necessarily reflect what the bottom line profit is of the business. So just really understanding top line, what are, what are your income sources? Um, it, certainly anyone who thinks they may be headed into a divorce really needs to understand that. Right. And it also, you can look at it to see what retirement contributions have been made, correct? Right, right. So, so you that's can important. It's just so, go you, ahead. so that would all enable you to see a is that where some money's going, but also quite importantly, is there retirement dollars to track down? Right, 
Right. So that's another, that's kind of the second top line for you to become aware of using your tax return, and that is what assets do you have. So you can just look at what income and dividends are you receiving. If you think that there is an account somewhere that you maybe aren't aware of and you want to be aware of it, that should appear on the tax return, any income related to it. Certainly any capital gains or losses, if there are stocks or other um, assets out there that might be sold, those need to be reported as well. And oftentimes there are things on the tax return that you might not even know existed, and so it's a really good way for you to become aware of those items. What about when the tax return helps you discover money that isn't there that you thought was? Like let's say that that business that's attached to it, that partnership, is actually showing a loss. When um, should it be a red flag? How do you find out about it to make sure that you are not responsible for a failing business? Well, I think that's one of the points that that I'm trying to make with women understanding their tax return is that if you're signing the tax return, you're legally responsible for what's on there. Now, whether you're responsible for a a money-losing venture has a lot more to do with how that's titled and, and a lot of other kind of legal ramifications. So I think I would say that the, the main point is that because you're signing that document and you are legally responsible, you should understand it. And many, many people certainly have their tax returns prepared by a CPA, but that CPA should be available and willing to answer questions so that you do understand what's on the return. So given the tax day... Ultimately, you're responsible. Absolutely. So given the tax day is right around the corner, and we know just by looking at the post office on tax day how many people do it at the last minute... Um, for those of us who haven't filed, what should we be thinking about right now? In, in you know, If women are listening to this and they're like, you know what, it's a short window in front of me, but I'm going to seize it, what are the first steps that they should take? Well, I think you alluded to it, but just making sure that um, you have maximized your retirement contributions, so double-checking and making sure that you've maximized 401Ks, but more importantly, are you able to make IRA contributions, that's going to be dependent on various income restrictions. But certainly, um, we encourage everyone to be saving in tax-favored investments. So to the extent that you can make an IRA contribution, it's a great time to do that. You can do that up until um, the filing deadline, which is April 17th this year. We have a little extra time because of the weekend. Um, You also want to just double-check if you own a business, just making sure that you have all of those expenses that were incurred in 2017. Make sure that you get those expensed in time. And um, lastly, you know, a lot of people will extend um, their return, but just remember that you are still responsible to pay the taxes for 2017, even if you extend the return. So you are required to make a payment if you expect to owe some money, even if you're not going to file the final return until October. And if you so don't the make return that payment, is really you end up paying a penalty. Right. So the return is really a way to delay the paperwork, but you can't delay the payment. That's right. That's, okay. That's a good way to say it, Laura. <laughs> um, for um, people who are jumping into this for the first time and who are waking up to the idea that their taxes are so such an important reflection um, and have of their financial health and have an impact on it and know that you know there's been this whole tax bill that's come forward what should we be thinking about as we look at this year in comparison to what we'll be looking at next year at this time well I think um it gets back to just the basics really of understanding your finances so making sure you have your arms around what are the assets that you have and what are the tax implications of those assets and are you using uh, to the extent that you can um, tax favored investments to save yourself some money Um, i think it remains to be seen how this tax reform is going to actually play out for people there are many, many changes, and I'm not sure even the best of CPAs can predict exactly what the impacts will be for each person. Um, so if you haven't started and you haven't ga- engaged up until now, really the way to start is to understand and get that um, net worth statement together. Make sure you know what you have, and then start digging into the details and making sure, again, that you're maximizing the planning opportunities that you have.
Now, one of the things that we alluded to in the beginning is that for many women who have a partner um, who took care of the finances, various things can upset that or require us to re-examine that. One is, um, are we happily with our partners, but we just are clueless about our finances? That's reason alone to start taking a look at things. Um, you're half of this partnership. You should understand what's happening to your money. But what about those people for whom their partnerships are eroding? Um, they've either been widowed or they're divorcing. Um, what are the first steps that they should take to protect themselves? Well, I think um, certainly gathering all of the right information, so getting everything together and understanding what you have, and then finding an advisor that you feel comfortable talking to, that you can trust to take you through all of the details, and who will spend the time um, educating you on what you need to know. Um, if you're certainly if you're somebody who is um, facing widowhood or divorce. I think one of the most important things is finding those professional advisors because oftentimes you may have had an advisor that was chosen by your mate and you may not have even ever spoken to that person. Um, so it may not necessarily be the best match for you now that you're facing kind of a new life, so to speak. Um, so again, it goes back to what are the things that you're looking for when you're selecting an advisor and what is it that you really need from them and understanding how they can provide that and how you're going to pay for that and whether you have the basic level of comfort that you need to be able to interact with a person because these transitions in life are very difficult. So and as women stumble, you know, wind up in these transition periods, um, whether it's by choice or fate has landed them there, um, when you start to, you know, look behind the curtain, some women may find, you know, great resources there that they just didn't know existed, were unfamiliar with, have to get oriented and need help in managing them. Um, but other women may find that they've inherited a tremendous amount of debt or the resources that they count on aren't there. Um, when women are facing a, a terrible financial picture, um, enormous debt, savings have been eroded, retirement is not what you would have expected, um, especially at midlife or late in life where they may not have been working, what are some of the first steps that you would recommend they take? What holes do you plug first? Well, we start by suggesting that the first thing you want to do is establish an emergency fund. So making sure you have enough cash on hand to meet your current needs as well as unexpected things that may come up over the next six to nine months. And oftentimes, you know, not having enough cash on hand creates a lot of worry and a lot of fear um, in women that are in transition. That assumes, obviously, that you have a source of cash that you can, you know, make available for that purpose. But that's one of the most important things I do with new widows and new divorcees is to make sure they have plenty of cash on hand because that tends to just create a lot more calm in the face of kind of bigger challenges, you know, perhaps over the long term. So that's and, the most important thing. And if they're facing debt? Um, what's the balance of how much debt should they carry versus keeping investments? Well, that's going to be a matter of several things. Um, what's the ongoing cash flow that you have to meet the debt? So do you have income that can be used to, to service the debt? And what kind of tax implications might you face if you are liquidating assets? And that's one of the things we run into um, you know, late in life is if someone has very high long-term care expenses and they have assets that they need to sell, there's going to be oftentimes significant tax implications. And a lot of people don't recognize that, so they end up with a pool of assets that's a lot smaller in the end than they expect because the taxes take such a big bite. So you want to have somebody who can guide you on what are the potential tax implications to make sure that you're not going to end up with with less assets than you expect? For example, you might have something you know happening in November or December, and you might be able to hold off and liquidate some assets in this tax year, and then wait another month and liquidate assets in a following tax year, which could actually save you a lot of money 
depending on you know the level of income and how much you're talking about. So that's a great example of where getting some professional advice can have a short and a long-term impact. Right. Because it's both going to affect the long-term value of your assets. It's going to affect in the short run what assets are made available to you at what pacing and also how that then impacts your tax return for not just one year but potentially two. Right. And it's it's often those hidden things that people just aren't aware of that really can end up being being much larger issues than you expect. And typically, it, it tends to be tax-related issues. How are tax rates determined um, once you're no longer working when you liqu- liquidate these assets? Well, your tax rate is going to be determined by your level of income. So if you have large capital gains, depending on the nature of them, that's going to certainly impact what tax rate you're falling into. Um, And it's interesting, you know, I'm seeing a trend with a lot of our clients. A lot of people think that you need tax advice leading into retirement, and then once you retire, things are simple. Basically, maybe you have a pension and you have your portfolio income and maybe Social Security. Like it's an allowance. a lot of people... Right, right. A lot of people, especially those with, you know, a, a reasonable level of wealth, are ending up facing, in some cases, fairly significant tax issues in retirement um, because maybe they're selling a home or a second home or they're liquidating assets to move into a retirement community or there are, there are so many examples of people who are facing tax issues in retirement. And so I it's clear... That an area that's not well understood. Yeah, so clearly the same effort that went into building that wealth needs to continue managing it. Um, So stay with us. We're going to be taking a short break. But after the break, Dawn and I are going to continue our discussion. We're going to talk about things like how do we build that personal balance sheet? How do we take a financial fitness test? um, And how do we approach changes so that we can really maximize our success as we go through them? Um, This is Laura Zarrow. You are listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School at Sirius XM 111. Um, If you want to give us a call, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We'd love to have you join the conversation. You can also email patty at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Once again, this is Laura Zarrow on Women at Work, and we will be back in just a moment. Thanks. Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dawn Dobler about financial literacy for women. Um, Because, you know, in our busy lives, even those of us who are working and making money, sometimes we delegate. We have to figure out what we do, what we give to other people in our lives. And as we're learning from Dawn, all too often we give control to our finances, the money that we work so hard to earn, over to a partner. And it can leave us not only in the dark, but really at risk. And so part of what Dawn's helping us learn today is how we get control of it and how we start making decisions about our own financial futures. Dawn is a senior wealth advisor at Colony Group and a co-founder of Her Wealth. Dawn, welcome back to Women at Work. Thank you. So before the break, um, and actually when we started the show and you were talking about one of the first steps we could take, you were talking about a personal balance sheet. And it reminded me of when I went through my own divorce, one of the processes that I needed to go through was completing um, what felt at the moment like a surprisingly um, detailed spreadsheet. And it included everything I spent money on that I had never, ever calculated before. Um, How can we start the process of a personal balance sheet and really get a grasp on our expenses? Are there tools that we can look to online? Are there tools that you provide to your readers and your listeners? We have tools that we provide with current clients. I think that many, many are available online. Um, Typically, if you have one of the custodians like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Schwab, to just name a few, Many of them, if you have an account, at least one account with them, have the ability for you to utilize these great tools that allow you to link all of your accounts and pull them into one location. And oftentimes, they'll actually show the asset allocation. They'll show show the total balances. Sometimes they'll even include the contributions that you're making. And that's a great way to pull everything in together. So it really depends on whether you are 
managing your finances on your own, in which case you want to probably go to one of those resources. Mint.com is another one that a lot of people use where you can log in and link all of your accounts. That way then you can press a button and consolidate everything into one place. And that's really um, the way to get started. It can take some time certainly to get started. You probably know that from having done it, Laura. But um, that's a that's a really great way to get started. And I would add to that, um, if you are in a partnership, um, work together to make those connections and to determine what tool you're going to use. One of the challenges that I see a lot of um, couples facing is that oftentimes it's one or the other's job. And if that person gets busy or they feel overwhelmed by it, then they don't end up really consolidating the information and the couple doesn't have the conversations that they should be having. So, you know, really working together to come up with a tool that works for both of you, that doesn't take too long, that isn't a manual spreadsheet that someone has to spend an hour or two updating is really the best way. And there are a lot of tools out there for that purpose. When I was going over your website, which does offer a lot of wonderful information, um, one of the things you talked about was a financial fitness checkup. Could you describe what that is and how we go about it? Yes. Well, early in the process of her wealth, I was suggesting that that I want women to think of looking at their finances similarly to the way they look at their health. And we all go for our annual checkups, at least if we're being responsible about our health. And it's kind of similar to when you go to the doctor and you have a blood test and then you get the list of all of the um, areas where you're in line uh, versus maybe out of balance and things that you can work on. And I think that's one of the challenges women face is they don't know where to start in terms of looking at their finances and they don't know how to determine if they're in good shape or maybe what needs to still be worked on. So we came up with this financial fitness checkup, and that's why we called it a checkup because it's kind of like a medical checkup, mm -hmm. but for your finances. And try to make it as easy as possible. It's 12 questions, yes or no, very easy to answer. It's, it is on our Her Wealth website, so you can go to herwealth.com and look in our blog for that if you want to go through that. And it's really meant to mirror all of the major sections of a good, solid financial plan. So it gives you an idea of uh, what your assets are, what things you should be looking at in terms of accumulating assets for retirement, and then what things you should be looking at in terms of protecting your wealth, so areas of insurance and estate planning and other areas that you should be looking at. So it's really designed to be easy to use. People can use it if they're self-managing. And we're also encouraging people who maybe have a financial advisor to take the list of questions, go through them with their advisor, and make sure that that advisor is actually covering all of those major areas of a plan. It's kind of a do-it-yourself checkup. It's a good way to get started. And it sounds like it's a good way when you go in with your you know, financial caretaker to also make sure that they're addressing your financial health in a comprehensive and responsible way. Right, and we actually like for couples to complete this independently because it's a really great way to understand kind of each person's perception about where they are. That's one of the challenges that couples face is um, each person in the partnership oftentimes has a different risk tolerance. They have a different perception mm -hmm. of where they are. So taking this separately and then sitting down and using it as a way to start a conversation it can be a really great way to get the conversation going. We know it's challenging for couples to talk about their finances. And especially... And this is a tool. And especially if the couples are separating. Like, I, I have to admit that when we went through the process, you know, that spreadsheet that I told you about earlier was, um, it was illuminating because while I handled our finances, there were so much that I... Um, understood but hadn't documented to share and because almost like if you don't track what you're eating you don't know how many calories you're intaking it's amazing when you gain weight um, that right. <laughs> the, the parts of our you know there were certain things that I tracked scrupulously and other things I, I kind of knew but it also wasn't transparent to my husband and it also didn't help me be really fastidious about managing those dollars and putting it into a spreadsheet and looking at these kind of checkups can really help you do that even if you've always been in charge of it. Right. And one of the things I want to share also is we find that 
a lot of people, not just women, but a lot of people have fear around their money. And oftentimes, the fear is unfounded. I can, I can say with almost equal uh, surety that after I meet with clients and we've gone through the process and we've detailed all the numbers and we've gone through their plan, a lot of times people say, wow, I feel a lot better now. I'm in better shape than I thought I was. So doing the fitness checkup, it is just like going to the doctor. People think, oh, maybe I, you know, I have something going on or I'm not feeling well. And you go to the doctor and everything's fine. And this is very similar. There are areas probably most listeners, there are areas where they are just fine. And knowing that is helpful. Absolutely. Away that fear. By the way, Dawn, we have a caller. Suzanne is calling in from Connecticut. Suzanne, thanks so much for calling in and thanks for listening to Women at Work. What's on your mind? Well, I've listened to your show for a long, long time. This is the first time that I called. um, And I'm at the office. Um, I snuck into what I thought was a quiet area, but now apparently someone's going to vacuum. <laughs> so <laughs> well, Suzanne, my question. we thank you for sneaking out. and glad you've been listening. Hope you're going to call more often, but tell us what's on your mind. Well, I don't know if I missed this part. Um, I, uh, I've had a, a, a pretty successful career, and um, I'm engaged to be married. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Third time <laughs> around. Um, but my lawyer wants a prenup. Now, now you say I, your lawyer wants a prenup. How do you well, feel about it? Well, I mean, it? I guess I do too. And see, that's part of the problem. I mentioned it to me, my fiance, and he seemed pretty put out. But I will tell you, you know, honestly, um, and I'm not using my real name. Um, I make more than he does. Um, I don't know if if your guest has any advice for me or not. Well, Suzanne, I appreciate your candor about this, and I think I think you're being smart to raise the question and to not turn away from this, even though he's uncomfortable. But let's ask Don. Don, what do you think about a prenup, and how should Suzanne be approaching it? Well, we are certainly fans of prenups because we see a lot of women like you who are primary breadwinners or come into relationships with wealth, and we have to remember women live longer. Um, So we want to make sure they're protected in their old age. And one way to do that is to protect the wealth that you bring into the marriage. So it is uncomfortable. We understand it can be off-putting. But frankly, we see it as something that is very important to protect yourself, to protect any children that you either currently have or you may have in the future. And I think it's a matter of just trying to break down the conversation and just having a really on, honest conversation about your motivations, the reasons for it. Um, and oftentimes, it's like so many things, the thought of a prenup is, is maybe more negative than what the actual document will look like. So I would encourage you to at least start independently with your attorney looking at what the prenup might look like and see how you feel about it. And, and then go from there in terms of sharing that with your uh, fiancé? I mean, how complicated do we have to get? Um, I do have investments. I have a retirement account. I have a a teenage daughter that I need to make sure I provide for. Um, Mm -hmm. um, He has no children. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just, um, I mean, I guess I started off on the wrong foot. and I dropped the subject because um, he was uh, not, I wouldn't say he was uncomfortable. I'd say he was angry that I brought it up. Suzanne, let me ask mm-hmm. you a question. Was the anger that, um, did it come from the fact that the prenup raises the question of whether the marriage will last? Or do you feel that the anger came from the question of whether he'd be responsible with your money? I Say, and your guest might have, since she works with clients, I think he's more offended by the fact that I don't think he can be smart with money. Don, what is the pattern that you see? Well, unfortunately, a lot of times I'm working with women who are, um, are coming out of these situations and, and wishing they had a prenup, frankly. Um, so I'm a little bit tainted by that experience. I think that my advice would be to um, to articulate 
your motivations and reasons for it. And I would think that they are to, first and foremost, protect your daughter. And, and that, I would think, is kind of inarguable. And secondly, to protect yourself in old age. And, and both of those, I think, are important and a reflection of you simply being responsible for yourself and for your child. Um, so it's more about you being financially responsible for people that you are responsible for, your daughter and yourself, more than you're doubting the relationship. And Don't. I think maybe if you talk about it in those terms, it may be helpful. Suzanne, does that sound like useful advice? It does. Um, I'll try it, and um, uh, maybe I'll call you back and let you all know how, what happened. I'd really love it if you did. And good luck with this, Suzanne. You're doing the right thing. So, Dawn, um, as people are having these kinds of prenup conversations, um, what parts of prenups are also about taking care of your spouse if you're the primary breadwinner? Is some of it protection for the spouse, or is it all focused on protecting the money that you came in with? Great question and great point. Um, it certainly can be and often is about protecting the spouse, and that's understandable. I mean, we certainly are also advising women who are getting into a second marriage, and maybe they are not the primary income earners. So we're looking for protection in the form of things like long-term care insurance, things like if you're purchasing a home together, how are you going to articulate who gets any equity that may be in that home, um, and, and other areas of protecting. Oftentimes, there are levels of assets that are exchanged after 10 years of marriage and 20 years of marriage and 30 years of marriage, which maybe seems a little bit um, doubting of the relationship. Yeah, and a little transactional. It's not romantic. <laughs> it, yes, although, you know, I... What I say with regards to prenups, and I'm divorced, so I'll disclose that, um, I will say that I think that a prenup is like any legal document. And if it's written thoughtfully and if it's reasonable in what it's articulating, then any party who is reasonable who's coming to the table in advance of the marriage should be willing to have a conversation about the document and assuming that it's it's reasonable in what it's articulating, they should be willing to sign it. And what we're working to teach women is to be fully responsible for their financial security, especially in old age. And that means being, being willing to and having the courage to protect what they've built. I, like, I appreciate that phrase. It's both willing to and having the courage to protect what you've built. It's an important concept. Um, let's take that, let's apply that to the question of getting married in the first place, particularly when it's a remarriage. What are the financial pros and cons of just shacking up, living together long term? Well, it's interesting. We did an article about that because um, the statistics show that the greatest growth of people living together is in people over age 50. So there are many more people deciding for many, many reasons to not get remarried but to live together. And one of the reasons is that, that couples later in life just have more complicated finances. So oftentimes it does make sense to live together instead of getting married. They have children, they have grandchildren from prior marriages, they may have pre-existing health situations um, that they need to be aware of and taking care of, and usually they, they just simply have a lot more wealth. So it's like really anything um, with regards to finances. It depends on a lot of the specifics of that particular situation. Certainly, it's a personal choice whether you choose to get married or not get married again. Um, but we think two of the most important things are to protect assets that you've built because second marriages actually statistically fail at even greater percentages than first marriages. A lot of people don't know that. And secondly, to talk about the issues that are likely to come up if you're going to age together, whether you're married or you're going to live together. And that's what one of our studies showed. We did a survey and showed that 70% of people had not talked about what happens if someone in the partnership loses a job or has health issues. 
And those are real circumstances that are much more likely to arise in couples who are aging together. And, so and not so, so much a matter of, sorry, of, of you know, whether, whether to get married or to live together, but making sure you've articulated who's responsible for what and what happens if someone has health issues or if the relationship breaks up. So if you've been um, cohabitating married or not and um, your lifestyle is supported by two streams of income, whether it's from work or investments, what happens when one of those streams becomes unavailable? And, right. and, and navigating that, not based on what the law says, by, but based on an agreement that you make together because you've thought this through in advance. Right, because the reality is health issues arise. Many more people um, over the age of, of 65 even are having Alzheimer's and other diminished capacity issues. And if you're living someone, it's to be ex- with someone, it's to be expected that you'll care for them. But do you have the financial ability to do that? And so this, in a way, even though it's not usually the primary intention of a prenup, it seems like one of the values is that if you're articulating your assets in a formal way, if something happens to either one of you, you know how to find them and take care of them. Right. And also, you know, frankly, it prevents a lot of issues that we see arise later in life between the children and other family members of, of the couple because oftentimes we have a lot of uh, clients where the woman has, is the primary breadwinner and has the, the greatest source of wealth. So oftentimes the children of her spouse or partner are going to expect her to step in if something happens because simply she has more wealth. But she may not be prepared to do that. And again, we want to make sure that women are protected in old age. They live longer. We want to make sure they have enough assets late in life. um, So you're bringing up what happens when we have emergencies. And one of the things I saw on your website that I thought was really valuable was the in case of emergency list. Can you talk to us about Mm -hmm. um, why you provide it? and what it's composed of what, and, and why those issues are important. Well, at a high level, that list is intended to articulate all of the critical accounts and contacts related to your finances so that if someone passes away or, frankly, more frequently becomes incapacitated, the other person can step in, or maybe it's their child who needs to know what the information is. So you really are articulating all of the accounts so that everyone knows what you have and then how can you access those accounts. Certainly these days everyone has online logins. You have to change the login every so often and keeping track of that just for yourself is a challenge. But imagine if someone had to come into your financial situation with no information and figure out how to get into all of your accounts. And we're facing this with many widows. I'm working with someone right now who, whose husband's very responsible. He was in the financial services industry, and he passed away unexpectedly. And we are having a very difficult time tracking down all of the assets. And these are substantial assets. And this is in the midst of someone facing the grief of losing their spouse. So we're trying to mitigate that from happening and just having everything articulated for whoever may need to step in, whether you pass away or you're incapacitated, so that the information is available and all in one place. So when we put all of our information in one place, including you know the toolkit that would make it easy for somebody to step in and manage everything, I would think it also puts our security at risk. How do you suggest we make a comprehensive list that's available to the people who need it, um, but protected from the people who really shouldn't have access to it? Right. I think that we, we have plenty of tools. For example, with our clients, we use a client vault and it's an access system that has a password that has you know various levels of protection to it and that's where we store everything and so people know if something happens to call us and everything is available in the vault otherwise you can use our you know more simplistically you can use our emergency list as a way to articulate everything and put it in a safe place like in a locked safe or somewhere 
We have some other folks where they actually have workshops where you can sit down and build a binder where you have all of this information. Um, you know, remembering that most women will outlive their spouse or their partner. So it's likely that women will at some point in their life be in a situation where they need to have this information. And if they're not the ones in control of all of the accounts and all of the information, they need to have a resource to go to. And if you're concerned about the security, then you can have it housed with your advisor or with an attorney to keep it safe. But it's important that you have a master list. And maybe what about the option of you have the master list of what your investments are, um, where you can get them online, but you keep your passwords or your safety deposit box keys in a separate place? Right, right, keeping that separate. I think like any any normal um, concerns about security certainly apply to this information. But, but certainly the vast majority of time we're not facing security issues, we're facing the fact that people don't have any access to the information and they're in the midst of a crisis. Maybe there's a health crisis and someone needs funds to move their parent into a long-term care facility and they say, well, I know that she has this account or that account, but they don't even know where the assets are. And so more often than not, it's, it's accessing funds that are there, not security issues. Right. And in a kind of um, hyperbolic extreme, um, I had a a couple who had lived next door to me and they had passed away and their kids were convinced that the money was hidden in the walls of the house and they hadn't left any Mm -hmm. information about where it was. And the kids ripped the walls apart trying to find the assets and they weren't there. Mm -hmm. So the parents had Mm -hmm. carefully left them. The kids destroyed another asset in the in the process. And so it also suggests that it's not just how you keep track of it, but also that you've designated somebody um, who's going to know where these things are. Right. And we could do an entire segment on the issue of diminished capacity. But we are beginning to see, you know, that is coming into play late in life. And one of the first things to go with regards to capacity is your ability to manage money. So it may not be a situation, although we articulated the emergency list really kind of for widows, it's equally likely that someone will begin to lose capacity. And if they haven't already articulated where all of the accounts are and all of this information, you're going to have a difficult time. And working with someone who's facing diminished capacity or Alzheimer's is a challenge in and of itself. But if you're trying to untangle the finances... Um, it's very, very stressful for everyone involved. Certainly. Well, Dawn, this has all been really fantastic advice. Thank you for all the information you've made available. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, if you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111. And I do hope you're going to tune in next week where we have an amazing interview with that um, I was lucky enough to be co-hosted with Adam Grant. We talked to the amazing Mary Barra. And then I got a chance to talk to Jennifer Fried and Leah Fessler for an amazing show on advancing women in the workplace through people analytics. Um, special thanks to my guest again today, Don Dobler of Her Well. And I'd also like to thank our amazing producer, Patty Hall, our associate producer, Danielle Bruno, our sound engineer, Tatiana Zamis. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. Have a good week, everyone. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 